Hello and welcome, fellow Wagoneers. My name is Joseph. This is the More Than a Drunk podcast, where we discuss uh, what it's like after substance abuse, even maybe during substance abuse. Uh, just kind of whatever comes to my mind. I, I, I've come to realize these are more uh, therapy sessions for me, where I hope other people are getting something useful out of them. So there's that. First off, a very lovely early happy birthday to my dearest wife. She is 29 years young. Noticed I used years young because she's actually really old. She's actually 39. Only one year left until she hits the big 4-0. Uh, and I'll have to do something. I'm a fairly terrible husband. I, I haven't really done a whole lot for her birthday. And our wedding anniversary is coming up. And I've totally done stuff for that. Ah, oh, this is great. I'm a, I'm a good husband. I really am. Now, you know what? She has, she, she has kitchen cabinets that at some point here I'm going to install in the next month or so. I've got a big project I'm working on right now. i got to finish that, and then kitchen cabinets go in. And countertops, and all sorts of other fun stuff. So anyway, happy birthday, Ethel. I love you. You're amazing. Also, in prepping for this episode, I had to dig out a new cord for the microphone so it could connect to the computer. And they had a bag inside of a bag. I love our species. We are totally not wasteful. And if you think that is a new thing, that that's only modern humans that have been wasteful, uh, no. Ancient hunter and gatherers, part of the reason why they were nomads is because they would, in their area, they would use up all the resources and have to move to a new one where the resources were. Of course, you know, it's always portrayed as, oh, they were, you know, migratory patterns and so forth and so on. And I'm sure that was some of it, but a big chunk of it was they would just use up the resources and move on. Now, thankfully, back then they were a few humans. Now there are many humans resource needed resource source source needed. Anyway, that's, that's a, that's a topic for a whole different show. I'm sure I could riff on that for at least a few minutes. Anyway. Um, so six months ago, I passed 1000 days. So recently I passed 1,000 days. I need to get an episode for that. Because that's, I mean, that's a big milestone. And I was just like, eh. Because I was stuck in the middle. Of, I was in a big project then. And I was stuck obsessing over that. Actually, I think I was I was about to begin it. And then, and it was happening. And I was too too focused and stressed on the, on the project. Uh, for me, cravings still do happen. They and and I think they they're they're about the same that they've always been. I think shortly after my recovery, I was like, "Oh, I don't have cravings." No, they are. It's just thankfully mine aren't like obsessive. It's more like you know when you're at a restaurant and you see a dish on the menu that costs way too much money. You're like, "Oh, that sounds really good," but it's forty dollars just for the entree, and then I got to buy all the other stuff. And so you're like, "No thanks, I'll go with this twenty dollar thing." It's more like that, except taking another drink of alcohol would cost a lot more than $40. And what, what is that quote, I think, from Robert Downey Jr.? A drink, you know, a drink does sound nice, but I, I want to 
you know, I want to see Christmas or something of the sort. I don't know. Uh, I've had a rough couple of days in terms of my anxiety. And that has probably been the biggest thing that I've come to realize quitting drinking. And it's it's taken me this long to realize, you know, because you can always kind of downplay it or, or push it off in your mind, that kind of stuff, or just maybe not even think about it. And, you know, there was a reason why I drank. And I always try to play it off like it was it was no big deal. It's like, oh, you know, I just kind of fell into it. I just I, I drank because I'm like, oh, hey, I'll have a couple beers. And then a couple beers turned into like seven or eight at night. And I, that was certainly part of it. But, I mean, the other part was alcohol is a miracle drug when it comes to masking so many things. Think about it. It can mask pain. It can mask anxiety. It can mask uh all sorts of fears, you know, it, it reduces your inhibitions. So you're like, Hey, you know, I can do all these things that I want to do. I can actually do them when I have a couple drinks. And when you take those drinks away, all of a sudden now there's all those things you want to do or all those things you worry about that you've never had to really develop coping mechanisms or, you know, the ability to get yourself to self-motivate without the alcohol and so then you have to learn all that stuff you know like i have after you hear someone go through a terrible accident and they have to relearn how to walk or talk or eat i mean that's super serious uh and and it's it's super challenging not downplaying that at all but it's like that with drug recovery drug addiction recovery where how to be a human you masked that for so long behind the drug that you then have to figure out how to be a human without the drug. And it's easy to overlook that part to where it's like, okay, I've quit drinking or I've quit meth or, or opioids or whatever it may be, uh, which there are, uh, speaking of opioids, there's a couple good documentaries out there right now about the Sackler family who are a bunch of shitbags. But since they're super rich, they basically got away with being shitbags. God bless America, which I really do love America. I really do think it is a great nation. Uh, We're just slowly descending into feudalism where if, if you have money, you're good. You can do whatever you want. As long as, as long as you keep the people, from rising up with pitchforks and torches. Now, and definitely figuring out what was causing the drinking, the anxiety, the undiagnosed ADHD, uh, and getting that in line, which my cravings are much fewer when I have those two things sorted out. Because obviously if my go-to when when I was spiraling on a project or before an interview or an important meeting or any of that kind of stuff, uh, because of my ADHD, if my go-to was to drink a beer, well, now when, when I spiral and I don't have that beer, then it just, you know, it leads to further spirals. 
so that's why, and it's one thing I always preach, you know, especially when you're first recovering, get all of it out of the house. Make it as difficult as possible to obtain the booze as you can. Curse at it when you see it. Tell yourself, you know, when you're not having cravings, tell yourself how awful that drug is. So then that way when they do come, when you're spiraling, when, you know, maybe, you know, memories of an abusive relationship or a traumatic experience, when they come up and then all, now all of a sudden your, your brain says, hey, I don't want to feel this right now, so let's have a drink. You at least have that little bit of counter-programming in there to be able to say, no, that drink, it's it's really not good. right? It's really not what's going to help us through this situation. And, uh, yeah, like I said, my, my, my anxiety's been... Uh, and, and really, it's... 10 months where it's really been spiked up because yeah I was I was laid off in February of 22 and thankfully I, I'd worked for a long time for a big company so I'd set a severance package which I mean just basically just paid my salary for the next six months or something so that was nice and I was able to, to start a business with that kind of as as the backdrop to where it's like, okay, you know, this is good. I can kind of get my feet wet. I can figure out what I'm doing. Uh, and, and I did it, it. I was doing good. Um, and then the severance stopped. And throughout all of that, my wonderful ADHD brain, the in- impulsivity side of all of that, told my wife, hey, you should quit your job to support what I'm doing. Um. So then that took away another income stream, which we're still doing good. You know, we got, we, we could pay the mortgage, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so we'll have a roof over our head, all of that. But it just ratchets up the stress a little bit. Um, and kind of coming to grips with that that stress is just a part of life. And I am truly where I want to be. It's just I have to deal with a whole new level of stress. You know, working for a giant company at Friday at 3 o'clock, you can just be like, you know what, that's for Monday, Joseph, to worry about. Friday, Joseph says, screw you, Monday, Joseph. When you're self-employed, you can't really do that, especially when you start having deadlines and all of those kind of things that you have to hit uh, or budgets you have to hit and all of that. And it's not, you know, it's not, mom corpse money that you're worrying about it's your own money it's your own time it's your own reputation <sighs> yeah and so in previous times like this i would relish an evening like this because when my son's at uh the football game the the stepdaughters are with their with their dad so it's i have the house to myself I'm like oh you know i could have a few extra beers tonight really unwind relax Maybe I should have beer over at the house I'm working on right now. I could just keep it there and I can, you know, have a drink throughout the day. No. That's not going to help. It may seem like it'll help, but it's not going to. It, it, it's it, it's like that friend who they will just always go along with whatever you say in terms of, you know, they say, hey, does this outfit look good on me? Or should I do this? Or should I do that? 
that's what alcohol is. It, it's the friend that's not really a friend, not because they're evil, just because they're worthless. And so having to learn how to kind of power through or even step back and say, okay, what's going on with my anxiety? Why is it spiking up? You know, what What are my thoughts? And the the therapist I'm, I'm going to now um, always describes it as kind of like the, oh, what does he think? Um, well, there's thinking errors, but that's not the right word. It's like the immediate thoughts that you have. Like when something happens, what's your what's your first reaction? Just boom. You know, if I say you you were painting a wall and you got paint on the ceiling, would you say, "Oh, I got to fix that right away?" Or would you then suddenly crumble down and think that, "Oh my god, I'm a terrible paint painter. This this job will never ever get finished or if it does, it'll look like crap." Even though all of the evidence ever suggests that, no, it won't look like crap. Yes, you will get the, the job done, and then we'll move on. That kind of thinking to where it's, and, and, and I've brought it up in other episodes about like things like overgeneralization or all or nothing thinking, which, which I like to call the, the doom and gloomin' thoughts, uh, catastrophizing. Yes, that's, that's what my brain is really good at. You know, it's not just, and not, it's not just. I got paint on the ceiling. It's uh, this house will never ever sell. I won't ever. I wouldn't even be able to get a renter into it. And so now I'm just going to lose all this money and be destitute, living in Marge down by the river. Which Marge is my work fan. I guess I haven't. I've never described her on the podcast before. Uh, she's a beautiful ninety-three forty Econoline, uh, two-tone brown. She's a beaut, and she runs like poop because I put the wrong fuel in it one time. Not sure why I did that. I just did. Yep. And so now I think the fuel injectors are bad. But see, now there it's, and, and even even with, with that, you know, it, it's a situation of my mind then races to, oh, see, this is why you can't have nice things. This is why you don't deserve nice things. So then it's not only doom and glooming about the future, it's also putting yourself down. It's being a bully to yourself. And I think far too many of us are really big jerks to ourselves. Me include. I, I, you know, I may be the king of the people who are jerks to themselves. Um, like I, I had an Apple Watch, and I'd I'd gotten it set up to where it did what I wanted it to do, which was far less than than what an Apple Watch is capable of. Well, I take that back. Technology nowadays, it seems like it's capable of so much if you want to like really work to stay on top of it, working on all of those things. You know, like it's it's almost like it's a hobby keeping, you know, if you want to have a smart home, it's a hobby keeping your smart home, all of the different things in there working and connected and all of that. Whereas, whereas my Apple Watch, it was, I had it set up where it was doing what it was just able to do all of the time. And even sometimes it would still step out of line jerk anyway so so the face on it broke because obviously you know now i'm in in a construction thing where stuff happens and so obviously being in construction work i'm I'm hard on things clothes or shoes or an apple watch and when it fully like fully broke to where you, you couldn't use it 
um, I was thinking, okay, you know, maybe we can get a, a replacement, maybe uh, a cheaper one that, you know, it's more rugged, or at the very least, if I break it once a year, it's not, you know, $250, it's $75. And through my negative thinking, I was able to get myself to where it's like, no, I, I don't even deserve to have a smartwatch. And bullying yourself down to that level to where it's like you don't even deserve to have this thing that did make your life easier. Um, it's it's a hard struggle. It's it's certainly something that would trigger emotions that make you want to drink. And so working on that kind of stuff, working through, I at the very least, identifying when you do it. You know, identifying that, no, you know, it's not about deserving a smartwatch. What kind of, you know, that's not a, that's not a helpful thought. See, I was going to bully myself there. I was going to say, what kind of maniac thinks that? But no, that's just, that's not a helpful thought. You know, it, it's like if the burning is building down and someone says, well, I wish we had a, a gallon of water. Well, we don't have a gallon of water in that situation. We need to figure out, okay, with what we have, what do we do? Right? And long story short, I'm still not going to buy an Apple Watch just simply because I don't want to spend that much money on a watch. Yeah, because I mean, it's it uh, it's the fine line, you know, at, at some point, you know, you take a look at your finances and everything and you say, I don't need to spend $250 on a watch. But not telling yourself you don't deserve to have the watch just because it's $250. Now, I know I know like the $700 ones, those I I don't even need what they do. I don't even want them to do those things. Like my watch like when I first had it set up, it was reminding me, it was buzzing all the time and it just it bugged me. And so I used it I think to for the weather, for the time and to find my phone. That was basically all I needed it to do. You know, I have an outline in front of me that I'm supposed to be following, but I'm not. And I don't even know where to jump back into it. And so with with me, like, obviously, all of this, all of these thoughts and actions and all that stuff, a lot of it, you know, it ties into anxiety. And for so long, because I was drinking and it was being suppressed, it wasn't being controlled, it was being suppressed, which are two very different things. Control means that you can actively work to make it better. Suppress just means it's festering and it will come back to bite you in the butt. So anyway, I had it suppressed for so long. I didn't, I didn't take it seriously. Like when I went to therapy or sought medication, it was more just like, okay, does this make me feel amazing? No. Okay. Well, whatever. And now it's, Now it's it's realizing, okay, how much does anxiety impact my life? And being open about that and honest, which is, is hard in a couple different ways. Because one, you don't want to sit there and think that you're defective, which you're not. No matter how terrible your mental illness is or how poor your mental health is, you are not defective. You are not broken, right? Just like if you broke your leg, well, your leg's not defective and it's hard to say it's not broken if you've broken your leg, but you get what I mean. 
Like your leg, it can heal and get better and be back to useful. The same with your brain. It can heal and get back to being useful to your body and to help you get through what you need to get through. And 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 so part of playing it off is it was suppressed. And the other part was my generalized anxiety disorder. It never seemed like it did in the movies or on TV to where, you know, people are panicking over stupid stuff. Or, you know, like I wasn't having panic attacks where I had to be like basically restrained because I was hyperventilating and just absolutely not in touch with reality at all. And so when you're like, well, okay, it's it's not that bad. You know, I was downplaying. I was being a bully to myself again. You know, maybe maybe that's maybe that's what my mental illness is, is that I'm a bully to myself. And and the other it it seemed like I didn't fit the stereotypical definition of someone who had anxiety, which kind of, I guess, plays into the, the movies and TV thing. You know, I always try to be easygoing. I always try to let things, you know, roll off my back, try not to obsess with things out of my control. He's like, oh, you know, whatever that happened. All right. But I think a lot of that was my suppressing anxiety. It was saying, you know, I don't want to think about my feelings on that, so we're just going to pretend I don't have any feelings on it. And I've learned that I do obsess over over things, uh, especially like the future. I've tried to figure out, like once I figured out what it was, I've been trying to think of how to put it into words. But basically the doom and gloomin of the future spiraling out of control and I can do nothing to stop it. Although the what I said earlier, and I guess it's the first first time I've, I've really thought of it that way, where it's not necessarily that the future is going to spiral out of control. It's that I'm going to have a suboptimal future because I can hear I can hear my my dad and one of my brothers chirping into my ears about, oh well, why didn't you do it this way or why didn't you do it that way? You should have done that way. Well, that was stupid. Well, you know what? I made a decision in the, in the moment of of what I could do. And what I wanted to do, how I wanted to tackle it. And so you guys, evil brain, you need to sit down and shut up. Because that's ultimately what it is. It's evil brain in there. It, it's it's the part of my brain that, that wants the booze. Or that just wants to be a jerk. I think that's the, that's the thing it wants. It's just to be a jerk. And so then it comes in with, with its imposter syndrome. And says, see, see, look at this. Look at this. This is why you suck. This is why you fail. You're not actually good at anything. And that fake it till you make it thing, on one hand, it's 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 good. You know, it helps you fight through. But when when you get to the other, like when you're faking it and you're not making it, and it's just like, ah. It really, it, it messes with your brain. Oh, so yeah, it... I go back to therapy on Monday. Yeah, heck, even this spring, as I as I was kind of coming to grips with how much anxiety impacted me, because basically starting on Christmas Day of last year, um, it was like I I just had real bad brain fog, like like I just I couldn't couldn't concentrate on what was going on around me couldn't focus on what was going on like my eyes literally couldn't focus on things 
Um, and I was just super irritable, super quick. Uh, that was actually the, the Christmas where I threatened to kick my brother's butt because he was, he was being a jerk and then I escalated it too much because I just, I had zero patience, uh, with that. So anyway, and so it started on Christmas day and it, it's, it continued and it kind of got better as I kind of got through a couple big projects and started a new one and everything seemed to be going good. And then it's, it ramped back up again to where it was like this morning I woke up and I was just, I was dizzy. Like it was all those same symptoms, but then I was dizzy on top of it, uh, which was great. And I, I had even less patience than I did in the past. So I actually had, I had to take a sick day. I had to, I think I, I spent pretty much the morning just laying in bed, not looking at phones or TVs or anything. I think I slept most of it, and I'm still tired right now, just probably because my brain is just moving at a mile a minute. Um, oh, and I've, I've started also started uh, anxiety med, which the one I'm on is it's supposed to be more of a rescue med, and I think I need to go on a I, – I need to talk to my psychiatrist about that because I think I need something – and need that, but then I I need something to help me day to day. I mean, supposedly I can take this thing twice a day forever and it'd be fine. The only problem is, is it makes me really drowsy, um, which you don't want to be at 10 o'clock in the morning, but you want to get on about your day. And so anyway, so, so, so yeah, talking to... Uh, professional about getting like actual medication, which I was listening to to another podcast because uh, they were describing they were talking about ADHD and why you know what the difference is between someone who takes stimulants every day to manage their ADHD and someone who just takes them recreationally. And he was describing like the difference between someone with ADHD and someone without it, when they take stimulants, how their brains react very differently to where someone without ADHD, they get the, they get high and someone with it, they don't. It just, most days, if mine's working properly, I don't even remember that I take it until I'm like, oh yeah, my brain isn't racing 800 miles an hour. And so that's a case where I think the, the treatment of the disease is stigmatized in such a way to where I think a lot of people don't seek help for ADHD, especially medication, because of the stigma behind the drugs they used to treat it with. And I think that's true with, with, with a lot of diseases out there. One, you know, for things like ADHD, OCD, uh, anxiety, depression, the, the symptoms are minimized and the treatment is um, ostracized. So it's it's oh everyone has ADHD. Oh yes, no I I you know there's things I can't pay attention to. There's blah blah blah. You know X Y and Z. And it's like no, it's it's more than just like not wanting to pay attention to a boring lecture. It's not being able to pay attention to a boring lecture when you're almost failing the class and you know you need to pay attention and you try to set yourself up to be able to actually pay attention done everything you can and it's like literally your mind cannot stay in the conversation or 
your brain is thinking about 875 different things or it's stuck in, in what I call a loop where you have something you need to get done and there's like three different ways of doing it and you can't decide between those three. So then you kind of do a little bit of all three and it makes it worse and you kind of spiral from there. And then sometimes, especially in what I do is, is I literally spiral where I'll just like walk around, walk around the room I'm working in, starting this and that and the next thing and, and bouncing back and forth. And with OCD, it's it's the same thing to where people are like, oh, yeah, my, my OCD got out of control. I had to organize this bookshelf. Like, no, you just you wanted to be organized. There was a mess that you didn't like and you wanted to organize it. It wasn't that your brain thought, oh, my God, I'm going to die if I don't flip this light switch 37 times or, oh, my God, I'm going to die if I don't organize this this uh, bookshelf. And I don't have firsthand knowledge of OCD, so I may be misrepresenting me get there me get the idea and same with anxiety and depression it's like oh you have depression oh that's a fancy word for being lazy or you have anxiety oh you're just you're just a worry wart like no my brain goes into oh my god we're all going to die just because and then i can't somehow escape from that or it takes a lot of effort to escape from that and i feel like being addicted to something has that kind of same stigma. It's like, oh, no, you're not addicted. Especially if, if you're at the point where you're still a functioning addict, which I think more people more people think they're functioning than they actually are. Um, it, it's the great wonder of life that you can convince yourself that you are above average at anything even though basically that you're above average at everything and everybody else is below average, and that's just not possible. So anyway, with, with those stigmas, obviously you, you, you fight against them. You, you avoid the treatment, or you, or, or you get the treatment just because you feel like you're checking a box, like, oh, someone told me I have anxiety, so yeah, okay, therapist. Okay, yeah, I'm not really going to do anything you, you tell me because I don't think it's that bad. But I'm just here checking a box that I have anxiety, so I'm in therapy. And then as you're not taking that treatment seriously, your mind obviously still having those symptoms and you have an easy time remembering the good parts of drinking alcohol and forgetting the bad parts of saying, you know what, God, if, if I could just have like three drinks... This feeling would go away and I'd be able to function. The problem is you can't stop at three drinks. Three isn't probably really even all that healthy. And you're going to end up at eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 drinks, shit-faced, waking up in the morning, feeling like crap all the re- next day. And you can't tell anyone, anyone you feel like crap because you feel guilty that you feel like crap because you know it's because you were drinking the night before. And so then you kind of start that whole loops and then first thing in the morning already your your anxiety or your worry or self-guilt is elevated because you feel like crap and you need to function, but you can't function because you're hungover from the night before from a poor choice you made. So that's that's what your brain does. And then you slip back into being being a drunk. And another part of me forgets in terms of the negative parts of going back to drinking 
you know, which would, you know, quote unquote, cure my symptoms right now. They wouldn't. They just they'd only suppress them. And like any resistance, if you suppress it, it only gets worse. Until eventually you you get Gaddafi'd. Is, you know, I forget all the expense. The wake, like I said, waking feel, waking up feeling like crap. The numbing of the feelings, and a lot of this anxiety, I need to feel in order to grow and develop as a person. Right? It, it's the same as you don't want to completely numb your arm and go touch a, a hot stove. Because there's damage. I mean, obviously, the heat is telling your the pain from the heat is telling your body there's damage going on. We need to remove ourselves from this. So whatever pains going on in my head, whatever feelings are going on in my head, I need to feel them so that way I can learn how to work through them and learn what to avoid and how to improve my situation. Because if I don't address it, it's only going to get worse and worse and worse. Because I mean, clearly. You know, 20 years of drinking didn't make all of this go away, right? It only suppressed it. And now it's coming out worse than, than had I addressed it 20 years ago. And a lot of that, I mean, a lot of the pain for me is, is I've said it before, that, you know, just thinking, it's so stupid, thinking I'm going down a suboptimal path. Like of all the things you could worry about, Going down a suboptimal path. Like, how much of a nerd am I? Like, well, you know, the data here says that, that we need to choose option B. Option A will be 5% worse, and option C will be 7% worse. Now, it may be, that may be, you know, like like I'm painting in that house right now. And it may be that if, if I go through and I, you know, I do one room at a time, it may be 7% worse. But you know what? If I get it done... And I don't drive myself crazy from anxiety trying to figure out which path to choose or how to, you know, choose. Like there, there is an optimal path. But you know what? That that path, that optimal, quote unquote, optimal path, may not be optimal for me because, you know, I may not have the confidence to do it. Because when you paint a room, like the fastest way to do it is just to use a sprayer. And I've used a sprayer a few times, and so I know how to do it, but I don't have the confidence in doing it in such a large scale. And, you know, it may take me a couple of days longer to use a roller and a paintbrush. But at the end of the day, if, if I get it done without spiraling, because hell, I probably already lost two days this week because I was spiraling. Well, I know I lost today for sure. So there's one day. So see now, had I just chosen the path I was comfortable with, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have spiraled. So just being okay with the path I choose. Because, I mean, my life has taught me that I can, you know, no matter what path I choose, I can make the best of it. Like joining the Army, life after the Army, you know, figuring out what school to go to. That was a suboptimal choice. But you know what? It worked out pretty good. Ended up with a master's degree. had a good job for a long time. My first marriage, that was a suboptimal choice. And then I had to go through divorce, and I handled that fine. I came out of that in decent shape. I mean, I came out actually statistically, uh, the situation I was in five years after my divorce was like top 20th percentile in terms of, you know, I didn't declare bankruptcy. 
I didn't need to check into any sort of rehab places or mental institutions. Um, and I met my best friend. And so, you know, I'm good at figuring out my life once I make choices. The problem is making that choice. Now, thankfully, I am a generally optimistic person. I generally default to, I will figure this out. I may need to freak out for a while before then, but, you know, I'm at least not a pessimist where it's like, oh, and I'm not going to figure this out. Or no, this is definitely the worst choice possible. And it's, it's, it's odd that, that my base state is I will figure this out and the future will be better. Considering all of my anxiety is you will not figure this out and the future will be awful. It's like, it's like there's an anti-Joseph particles inside of me that are trying to come out and they're interacting with the Joseph particles. And that's what's causing the anxiety, which is a reference to in 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 the world there's there's like particles and antiparticles and if they combine they unite they they destroy each other it was a it was a terrible nerdy joke i apologize but i mean doing this podcast i mean this really does help I mean, if nothing else it gets it off my chest like i was i feel like that's that's such a huge a huge part of of recovering is having a way to just just vent things, not having you know having someone on the other end that will listen and not try to figure out ways, but will just and and not even necessarily listen, just sit there while you talk at them. Because just getting it off, a lot of times I feel, I feel most people as they talk through it, they can kind of figure out what they want to do, what they don't want to do, what's bugging them, all those things. You just have to be able to to speak it. You know, there's a reason why our speech species is so bent around the human voice. It's because we have that need to communicate, to use words outside of our head. And it's it, it it's ties into another one of my ways to, to try and kind of help is, is being social. And there's different ways of being social. I mean, some people are extroverts and they want to go out to parties and, and be the center of attention, all that kind of stuff. And then, like myself, I'm much more of an introvert. I I need a lot of alone time and quiet time and just whatever. Um, so you need that part. You also need small talk time. The the, the stuff that people hate. You know, it's like oh, how's oh the weather's it's hot outside. Oh, it's cold outside. Oh, it's been raining forever. You know, all of those stupid things. You know, where people tell you stuff that you don't really care about. But I I think that's that's an important way to just connect on some small level with other people. That, hey, the world I'm experiencing around me, okay, my experiences make sense. And that's what small talk is, I think. I don't know. I'm kind of kind of coming up with this in my head right now. So bear with me. So you got your alone time. You got your small talk time. Then you need your big talk time. That's where you talk about, okay, not just the world around me or inside of me. It's, it's the bigger world. It's, you know, the Russian-Ukrainian war. It's everything going on in politics in the United States. Those kind of things. The big things that you know you're not going to solve the problem, but you at least need to talk about it and be like, hey, this is a problem, right? You don't think it's a problem? Why not? And then, of course, we, we, we devolve into fighting and having teams and stuff. So you get your alone time, your small talk time, your big talk time. 
where, where you're you're spending time with yourself. You're figuring out that your immediate world, your your um, understanding of your immediate world, makes sense. That there's a base reality there, and then your big talk time, where your understanding of base reality, kind of around the world and major events, makes sense. And there's personal talk time, where all of that stuff, how does it impact you? Right? So now that you, you realize, okay, my understanding of what's going on around me makes sense. My understanding of what's going on outside of around me makes sense. Now, how does that impact me personally? How do I handle that? And hopefully you have people in your life that you can have that time with. If not, therapists are great. Uh, online chat rooms are not great because you have a lot of loony bins out there. And I think a lot of it anymore is is selection bias. On the internet, it's so easy to get into these really niche spots where either everyone thinks the same way you do or they don't or they have some weird way of looking at something that doesn't work for you. And of course, you're, you're online. Now, it's possible to build up friendships and actual interpersonal relationships online, but you always you never quite have that same connection as you do meeting face to face. And I think that's what what we're finding now with a lot of this remote work stuff is it's great that people can be anywhere and do a job, but the face to face time is so important in terms of learning and growing and and connecting with the people that you're working with. Then I think 100% one way or the other you know, either 100% in the office or 100% remote. That's not right. There's somewhere in there in between that works best to where you treat your workers like they're adults, but they, they're adults as part of a team and that teams work better when they're together. And in a, in a part of all that is also having someone that, and I don't know if I'm using the right word, but Having someone that will affirm your feelings. Someone who says, no, you're not crazy for thinking that. And being able to to kind of, again, understand your personal world, the world around you, and, and that all of your thinking jives. That's Some of mental health is that your understanding of the world and the way the world actually is, those two things don't line up. And anyway, I have I have talked too long. I'm starting to repeat myself and so forth. And so I think that's a good spot to wrap up. I appreciate all of you for listening in. If you need any, certainly if you need immediate assistance, if you have thoughts of suicide, call 911. There, there's resources there to at least get you out of that crisis moment. If you're not in a crisis moment, uh, start with, and, and I'll just plug the one, uh, leaving the show notes about all the rest. Uh, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Um, SAMHSA.gov. There they have links to all sorts of other resources. Right there, I, I don't know that they're necessarily a direct resource themselves, but they, 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 they know a guy. They know a guy who can get a job done. You know what I'm saying? And so with that, I will let you go. Have a have a good rest of the evening. Have a good uh, tomorrow. 
and just know that uh, at least for today, I will not drink with you. Thank you.